It's so good to be with you. Thanks for hopping online. Just three verses today from three successive stories about Jesus. Jesus stories that include you. From the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, we're on our way with Luke. The first verse, uh, verse 11, they left everything and followed him. The next verse, verse 13, he stretched out his hand and touched him. The last verse, verse 20, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Three verses from three successive stories about Jesus that include you. And my hope is that by diving deep into these stories, our eyes might see more clearly the purposes of Christ in the world and our hearts might experience more deeply his intentions for your life. For now, I want to share with you a bit of an exchange I had with a friend of mine. He's about 50, 50-ish, married, four kids, They live on some acreage. They've got a chocolate lab. They both got jobs they love. They're doing good. They're good. Uh, He he texted me a bit ago uh, asking, can we talk? When friends text friends saying, can we talk, you know they have something to say. So I shot back, yeah, what's up? He said, are you available tomorrow? I said, yep, are you okay? He said, let's talk tomorrow. So for the next 15, maybe 16 hours, My heart wondered and I worried. We got together the next day. The options were sit in a room with masks covering our faces or take a walk. Uh, So we opted for the latter. And he shared with me a deep pain. A sadness that he's carried for as long as he can remember. He's carried it all alone. COVID quarantine is nothing in comparison to the kind of isolation he knows. My heart broke as I imagined him carrying this brokenness all by himself, all alone, no one to talk to, no one to tell. He's too ashamed to say it out loud. Our exchange continued, and I'll share more of it with you in a minute. He said some things, I have his permission to say with you, that I think might help if you know a deep shame, a sadness, a guilt, a brokenness. Uh, First, though, our three verses. Once, when Jesus was standing near the lake of Gennesaret, The crowds were pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He saw two boats there on the shore of the sea. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats belonging to Simon and asked that it be put out a little from shore. He sat down and taught the crowd, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and drop down your net for a catch. And Simon said, Master, we've been working all night long and have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I'll drop down the net. And when they had done so, 
They caught so many fish, their nets were beginning to break. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help. And when they came, both boats were so full, they were beginning to sink. And when Simon saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees and cried out, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and those who were with him were amazed at the catch they had taken, as also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were Simon's partners, And Jesus said, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching people. And when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. Once, when Jesus was in one of the cities, there was a man covered in leprosy. And when the man saw Jesus, he bowed his head to the ground and begged, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I do choose. Be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and Jesus ordered him to tell no one, go, he said, And show yourself to the priest, and as Moses commanded, make an offering for cleansing as a testimony for them. More and more news about him spread abroad, and the crowds came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus would withdraw in privacy and pray. One day, while he was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting nearby from every region of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of God was with him to heal. Just then, two men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him before Jesus, but they couldn't because of the crowd. And when they found they couldn't bring him, they went up on the roof and lowered the man with the bed through the tile into the center of the crowd before Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, Your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began questioning, who is this that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus, perceiving their questions, said, what's easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say stand up and walk? But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the one who was paralyzed, stand up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately... He got up, took what he had been laying on, and went home glorifying God. And all who saw it were amazed and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen strange things today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Luke 5, 1 through 26. I don't know if you take me up on this, but if you want to hit pause now and find it in a Bible near you or the smartphone on you, I want you to look for verse 11. They left everything and followed him. I want you to find verse 13. He stretched out his hand and touched him. Open to verse 20. Friends, your sins are forgiven you. We'll take each in order and then gather around the table as we do virtually. First verse, verse 11. They left everything and followed him. My guess is you're thinking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which is crazy because so am I. Dietrich Bonhoeffer who wrote, when Christ bids a person come, he bids that one come and die. Of course, Bonhoeffer took his own words seriously and was put to death for resisting Nazi Germany. He left everything. 
and followed him. Or maybe your mind goes to Jesus in another place who says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. In other words, they left everything and followed him. Makes me think of Martin Luther King Jr., who the night he committed his life to deal with the racial injustices that wreak havoc on our country and around our world, the same night he committed to that vocation, King's phone rang. We're tired of you, and if you aren't out of town in three days, we're going to blow your brains out and blow up your house. King said, I sat there and thought about a beautiful little daughter who had just been born. I sat at the kitchen table thinking about that little girl. I got to the point I couldn't take it any longer. I was weak. Something said to me, you've got to call on that power that can find a way out of no way. I bowed my head over a cup of coffee. I'll never forget it. I prayed a prayer, and I prayed out loud that night. I could hear a voice saying to me, Martin Luther... Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And I'll be with you even until the end of the world. Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. He left everything and followed him. We're invited into this fascinating story. Jesus by the Lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee. The crowds are pressing in on him to listen to him open the scriptures, to hear him speak of God, hoping maybe, just maybe, he'll do for them what they've heard he's done for so many other, others in other places, heal their diseases, ease their pains, satisfy their aches. The crowds are pressing in on him. Some, some third shifters are just getting off work. They're cleaning up the docks. Jesus hops into one of their boats. It belongs to Simon. What's Simon going to say? Jesus has just healed Simon's mother-in-law, so of course there's room in Simon's boat for Jesus. He sits down. He teaches. says to Simon, hey, why don't we go catch some fish? And Simon's like, yeah, wouldn't that be great? Been doing it all night. There's nothing out there. Jesus says, why don't you give me a try? They drop their nets, and the nets are so full of fish, they're beginning to break. They call some friends. Both boats are about to sink. And when Simon sees what's happened, he falls at Jesus' knees and makes the fundamental confession of the Christian faith. And in this way, Simon is the first convert to Christianity. Go away from me, Lord. He calls him Lord, as in Yahweh. He calls him Lord, as in the divine name. He calls him Lord, as in Jesus is God, Lord. Simon, no longer interested in the catch of fish, but now willing to leave everything to follow Christ. If Jesus Christ is Lord, he cannot be reduced to an occasional conversation when you're in a pinch. If Jesus Christ is Lord, he can't be approached every once in a while in a gathering of worship in order to calm your spouse or raise your kids right. If he's Lord, he deserves everything, all you have, everything about you. They had been working all night long and caught nothing. And sometimes I wonder if we're not doing the same, working all night long, burning it on both ends, wondering, worrying, conniving, concocting plans, trying to figure out a way into the future imagining a way to make your spouse better because that's always the way to a healthier marriage. 
All the while, you wake up in the morning and your nets are still empty. Simon leaves the fish behind because he wasn't actually after the fish, though that was his livelihood. He was after the source of the fish. All of our striving and looking and trying and working and worrying, they left everything and followed him. So leave everything. Are you willing to leave everything? Next verse, 13. Then Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Reminds me of that uh, great, uh, maybe it's not that great song uh, we used to sing at night church when I was a kid. We used to go to church twice in the morning and then at night too, the original song by the Gaithers. Uh, I'd sing it, but I'd probably break your internet, so uh, just listen to the lyrics. He touched me. Oh, he touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole. He stretched out his hand and touched him. Uh, Touch lowers blood pressure. Touch calms and soothes. Touch creates safety and security. Infants who are touched, studies show, grow faster and are less violent in their older age. Touch releases oxytocin. He stretched out his hand and touched me. And of course, 21st century, we're aware of, more aware at least, of how and when and why and who and even if it's appropriate to touch. And our 21st century awareness is all the more evidence of the power of touch. He stretched out his hand and touched me. Jesus is in one of the cities which one? No one knows. He's in one of the cities, and he comes across this leprous man, this man covered in leprosy who knows so much shame. He bows his head to the ground and begs, because that's what his life's been reduced to, bowing and begging, bowing and begging. Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. He'd been banished to the far reaches of the community, because that's where the lepers deserve to go, Uh, the ultimate COVID case quarantined out there, over there. The idea that somehow communities were really mean by banishing lepers is a bit outdone. It was was a public health condition. It was for the common good. If you have it and I'm near you and I get it and I give it and then the whole town's going down, so you get out of here, go over there. Jesus is on the edges of the town. The man sees Jesus. He bows and he begs and Jesus stretches out his hand. And touches him. And immediately the leprosy leaves him. Now, the, the, Jesus touches him not just to heal him. He tells the man, Go and show yourself to the priest because the priest is the one who would reinitiate the leprous man into the community. The priest was the one who would verify, Yep, the leprous man is now healed. Jesus' healing is not just to set the man free from lep- leprosy, but invite him back into the community. And more than that, Jesus touches him to associate himself with him, to enter into his situation and condition. By touching the leprous man, Jesus is considered a leper. Jesus now banished to the far reaches of the community. He would withdraw into private and pray. He takes on himself the situation of the man, and he takes on himself your situation too. 
This is why Augustine would say, he became what we are, I think this was Augustine anyway, so that we might become as he is. And I know this was Clement of Alexandria, second century bishop, the word of God became man so that you might learn from a man how to become a god. And all because he touched him. That's the nature of the gospel. That's God's heart. He leaves the eternal glory of Trinitarian community and enters into the finite realities of our lives and our situations and your day and your condition and what you're going through now. He takes it on himself so that you can be free. And it's on him now. Give it to him. Offer it to him. He stretched out his hand and touched me. A third verse. Verse 20. Friend, your sins are forgiven you. For a long time, at least in this country, uh, Christianity spent so much time and energy and focus. The Christian church gave so much attention to forgiveness that it basically turned a blind eye and utterly ignored the social mandate of the gospel. This is where the phrase, so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good, fits. I'm thinking specifically during uh, slavery. Blacks would hit the balcony of the local church on Sunday morning while the whites would worship in the main platform and the pastor would wax eloquently about forgiveness and then they'd go back on to slavery. Now I wonder if, if the tide has turned just a bit. Forgiveness... I mean, we, we focus on the social mandate of the gospel to speak truth to power and to right injustice and to overturn, overturn systems of oppression and forgiveness. I mean, we don't even dare suggest to someone there's something in their life they may have to deal with. And yet, on this day with this man, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus Christ was sent of the Father to assume our flesh and blood, to fulfill for us all obedience to God's law. And by his life, death, and resurrection, he has the capacity to heal. He has the desire to redeem. His heart is to forgive, to forgive you and me and all of us the things we've done we know we shouldn't do, but we did anyway, and the things we did we didn't know we shouldn't do, but we went on doing his heart is to forgive. Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Leave the past in the past. You're forgiven. Leave the brokenness to its brokenness. You're forgiven. Be launched into freedom and wholeness and life with Christ. That's God's heart for you. That's Jesus Christ. We live in a really nice town. If, if you know Holland, you know it is nice. And if you're not from around here, you've heard it was nice. And let me, if, you're, if you don't know anything about Holland, let me tell you, it's nice. Uh, it's so nice, we're actually rated by some report somewhere several years ago as one of the nicest towns in the United States of America. That's how nice we are. Snow-melted sidewalks were so nice, which is sort of a two-pronged, Reality, one, it's a really nice place to live. 25% of the earth's fresh water right on our shores. And the people here are really nice. We're nice. It's nice to be with nice people. The, the, the shadow side, though, the bummer of it all, is the, the, the overwhelming niceness tends to force a few of us into hiding. 
the not-so-nice part of our lives, we leave in the shadows, in the darkness. Let's just be nice. C.S. Lewis has a word for us. Niceness, wholesome, integrated personality is an excellent thing. We must try by every medical, educational, economic, and political means in our power to produce a world where as many people as possible grow up nice. Just as we must try to produce a world where all have plenty to eat. But we must not suppose that even if we succeeded in making everyone nice, we should have saved their souls. A world of nice people, content in their own niceness, looking no further, turned away from God, would be just as desperately in need of salvation as a miserable world and might even be more difficult to save. That's the story of my buddy, the one who texted me I mentioned a bit ago. He's nice. I mean, I'm not not picking on him. He's nice. They're nice. It's nice. The chocolate lab and the acreage and the house and the jobs and the four kids. It's really quite nice. And he's been holding an ache, a pain, a sadness. We used to call it sin, so as to play nice. And it was eating him alive. It was devouring his soul. He couldn't take it anymore, so he texted me. Hey, can we talk? Friends don't text friends to say, can we talk, unless they have something to say. I said, sure, what's up? He said, how about tomorrow? I said, okay. Are you okay? He said, let's talk tomorrow. So we got together, we went for a walk, and he shared with me this deep, deep sadness, this overwhelming brokenness that's wreaking havoc on his life and about to blow up his marriage and his family and his nice life. And my heart is breaking, not not because it's so terrible, but because he's carried it all alone, all by himself. Everyone was so nice, he didn't dare share what's really honest. So we're, we're walking, and he says, I've lived my whole life a lie, and I don't know how to find the truth. And I sat there, I guess I was, I was walking there, wondering, what do you say? And then he added, I just now have come to realize the only way out of it all is Jesus. Jesus, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Stand up and walk. Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Stand in the light of truth. Friends, your sins are forgiven you. Stand in the light of freedom. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.